Hi, I'm Emily Salaby, founder of Juno Jones, the stylish safety boot company, and your host on the Hazard Girls podcast here on Jacket Media. I'm so honored to host this show where I get to chat with Hazard Girls about their careers. Hazard Girls is an online community for women working in traditionally male-dominated fields. On our show, you'll get to hear from these amazing women about the path that led them to their current careers, challenges they've overcome, advice for other women in entering these industries, and more. Namita Pinagunda Reddy is the founder and designer of Samsara Sari, a sustainable brand of clothing, accessories, and home textiles made from pre-loved Indian saris. Namita started her career in architecture, receiving her master's degree in architecture from the University of Pennsylvania and working in that field for 15 years. She helped design for clients, including the Ralph Lauren Polo Sports Flagship Store, AOL Marketing Offices, Andrew Martin Showroom, and high-end residential properties in New York and Cape Cod. In 2019, Namita's design background merged with her love for textiles and her desire to promote awareness and appreciation of Indian heritage when she launched Samsara Sari. Welcome to the Hazard Girls podcast, Namita. How are you? Thank you, Emily. I'm doing well. It's so good to speak with you. Well, I have to say, Namita, we have to let everybody know that we've known each other for over two years now. We met right before the pandemic when we joined the Philadelphia Fashion Incubator at Macy's, and we have been working together with the incubator meeting at least once a week on Zoom calls for the last two years. (laughs) So (laughs) I know all about Samsara Sari, and I'm so excited to share that with our audience as well as learn more about you and your background, because we never really got to dig in about that in any of our Zoom calls. So that should be pretty exciting. And, you know, I haven't really gotten into any information about the Philadelphia Fashion Incubator on the show in a while. So since we've both been a part of it for two years, I thought it would be a good opportunity to tell our audience about it, what it is and what we've been working on there, especially what you've been working on there. So do you want to share what the Philadelphia Fashion Incubator is? Sure. I think that's a great idea, Emily. The Philadelphia Fashion Incubator is an amazing program that trains people in the business of fashion. And we were both accepted in March of 2020. We had a few in-person meetings, and then we quickly transferred to Zoom. It was really an amazing opportunity where we got to have speakers from all over the world, really, who helped to train us in finance, marketing, PR, fashion. Mm -hmm. It taught me a lot about business in general. It provided me with amazing mentorship. We had Elisa, the director, as our mentor, who I had weekly meetings with. And then we also were able, we were given mentors who I met with weekly. And we had an amazing support system because we had such a wonderful group in our incubator. And we still continue to meet and we're still connected, which I think is amazing. And one of the most amazing things about the incubator is just this system of people who really want you to help you be successful. Yeah. And we still have that support. We're still a part of that community, which we, I'm so thankful for. Yeah. Well, our second year just wrapped up and it's so crazy to me when I think about how well, I know you and everyone from the incubator and that we have mostly been meeting on zoom. (laughs) It's funny. It it's is like a really testament fun. to how effective Zoom really is. Yeah. Not, you know, Zoom or whatever video conferencing, but, it, you know, you really do get to know more about a person and connect with them through video conferencing so much, I think, so much more than like on the than you would on the phone alone, don't you? Definitely. And I think that we were really 
we were able to have so many more meetings than we normally would have had Mm -hmm. prior to Zoom. Yeah, that's so true. We would never have been able to have people Zooming in from South Africa. Exactly, exactly. Or India or Dubai. Making those trips over. Exactly, exactly. Oh, yeah, that's right. We, We did speak to someone from India and Dubai. Yeah. Well, Lisa Bloom, who you mentioned, she's the executive director of the Fashion Incubator, and she's just been so amazing. And she really has a knack, I think, for choosing, you know, incredible brands with growth potential. And they've put, I don't even know, dozens of companies through the program. Many have, which have gone on to create highly successful brands. So, you know, it's always an honor to be a part of that and to just be in this great company of people. But I want to hear about your brand, Samsara Sari. If you could just, you know, give us a quick summary, because we'll talk more about getting in depth with the brand later, but just a quick summary of what it is and what you're doing with the brand. Sure. So first, I just wanted to say Samsara means the cycle of rebirth in Sanskrit. Mm. And this is a concept that drives Samsara Sari, which is a sustainable brand that transforms pre-loved Indian saris into an original and colorful collection of apparel, accessories, and home products. Each piece is few of a kind. Most of them are made from vintage saris. And it's a brand that really bridges multiple generations, modern and traditional, and two cultures. That is so cool. It makes sense that you have this passion for textiles and for textile design because your background is in design of a different kind. You have your master's in architecture from Penn, And you worked in architecture for 15 years in New York City. So how did you first become interested in architecture? Was this something your parents encouraged you to do? (laughs) Definitely not. (laughs) My parents parents are actually both doctors, and they Uh really would have loved if I became a doctor also. I just really loved and appreciated art. I drew a lot when I was growing up. I painted. I had the opportunity to travel abroad a lot while I was growing up and also study abroad. And every time we traveled, my parents would take us to art museums and to all the architecture in a city. And And I think when I was very young, a lot of times it was boring to me. Mm-hmm. But as I got older, I really began to appreciate the art and the architecture and different cultures and different people. And whenever I traveled, I loved going to flea markets or markets and buying goods from local artisans. And I remember always coming back with these great finds and all my friends saying, where did you get that? I want that. I'll buy it from you. And <laughs> and people always just getting really excited because I had these really unique items. So I think I've always had this love for textiles, not just Indian textiles, but textiles from other countries also. And just the craft, they really reflects the history and traditions of different cultures and Mm -hmm. it's a part of the people and it really tells a lot about the culture. I'm really curious, Amita. So were your parents traveling a lot with you for work or was it just vacations? Vacations. They both also paint and draw, even though Ah. they're doctors. And they just always loved to travel. My mother traveled, you know, within India when she was growing up with her family. So traveling meant a lot for both of them. And they're both very curious people. So we would travel, you know, I have early memories of a trip to Mexico, a trip to Spain, a trip to Greece, a trip to, you know, every summer, we would just take a big trip. That was our big family trip for two weeks. And we Mm -hmm. would go to a different country and you know, we didn't go to the beach like everybody did for the summer. We would go to a different country and just explore and learn and enjoy. And it was fabulous. It really, I think, helped me become who I am today. 
That's so interesting. And so are you an only child? No, I have an older sister. An older sister. So, so the four of you would travel. Yeah. And they'd say, you said they would take you to like art museums and things and you found that boring. What age would you say that started to become interesting to you? Maybe 10. Yeah. I don't know if the art was boring to me. I think we would also visit all the important historical buildings. Yeah. <laughs> I think that was boring to me when I was young. Super young, yeah. Right, when I was course. super young, the art was fun. The history wasn't as exciting. But then as I got older, I realized that there's a huge connection between the art and the history. And I'm really starting to realize that now also. Since you were so young, at the time, you probably wanted to be maybe doing something more exciting to a kid, like that would typically be more exciting to a kid, but it was really being absorbed into your subconscious and everything you were learning was becoming a part of you so slowly as you did that. So I think that's really a testament to your parents' ideas to take these actions that take you around the world at such a young age. Well, that's how you first became interested in architecture. I would just like to know, once you got into architecture, because you got into a wonderful Ivy League school, Penn, and you studied architecture at Penn, did you get a job right away? I did. Out of graduate school, I applied and got a job, and I didn't want to work for a large firm, so I did all this research, and I started looking through magazines, and I actually found the firm that I worked for in a magazine article, Mm -hmm. and I saw the AOL marketing offices, the headquarters for AOL marketing that they designed in New York City. And it was such a fabulous project. And I said, I want to interview at this firm. So I had about probably 10 to 15 interviews. And mm-hmm. when I walked into that office, SPG Architects, it just felt like home. It just, mm-hmm. like, just something just clicked when you, you do know. something and you just knew that, know that it's right. And I was lucky to get the job. And I was at the same firm for 15 years. It was a small and it fluctuated the amount of people who were there, but it's a fairly small boutique firm in Chelsea, Manhattan. Mm-hmm. The work they do is really wonderful. It's it's mostly modern. They do do some more traditional work also, but it's very high design, very well thought out. And it was fun. I had a great time working there and I had the opportunity to work on a lot of amazing projects. Well, 15 years is a long time. It's, you know, if that's a long career, even just on its own. So Can you walk us through that a little bit? Were you kind of redoing the same sort of project throughout the whole 15 years or did your position change? Yeah. So when I first started, my first project was to be a team member of the renovation of the Polo flagship store on Madison Avenue, which was a really fun project. We got to go to the Polo offices and we got to go to the store and I, you know, got to meet a lot of the team members and, and it was fun. It was a really fun project. And I, got to learn about retail in New York City. And then after that, I had the opportunity to work on, there were many phases of the AOL marketing space. So I got to work on a few phases of those offices. And then I slowly slowly started working on more residential work. So I started with a few apartments, and then I had an opportunity to work on a few houses. And we did a lot of work in New York City. And then we also did work wherever people had vacation homes. So I had the opportunity to work on a house in upstate New York. I had the opportunity to work on a house in Cape Cod mm-hmm. and brownstones in the city, apartments in the city. And, and it was a lot of fun. I met some really amazing people, the people who worked at my firm, our clients. I really enjoyed it. But I think I always had an entrepreneurial spirit. So I always mm-hmm. knew there was something else out there also. This is Hazard Girls, right? So this podcast is all about women who are working in these, quote, non-traditional industries or male-populated industries. 
I always make sure I take a moment to ask if there were any special challenges that you faced as a woman. Not everyone has. And you were in New York City, which is a very diverse place. So I'm wondering, were there any specific challenges that you felt you were facing as a woman or even looking back, maybe at the time you didn't think so, but even looking back, you're you're like, ooh, maybe that was, you know, maybe my gender had something to do with that. Or, or was it, you know, not really an issue for you? I have to say I was very lucky that one of the partners in the firm is a woman. So mm-hmm. she was a very strong leader and mentor. And there were a lot of other strong, smart, talented women in the office. So I felt like I had somebody to look up to mm-hmm. who was paving her way and getting things done. And she was very highly respected. Yeah. So that definitely helped. I do remember one one conversation I had when I was working on the AOL marketing offices. And I have to say there, you know, residential work is very different than commercial work. And when you're doing high-end residential work, it, it was very high-end residential work, you don't have to work with certain contractors. But when you do huge projects, you have to work mm. with certain contractors. And I remember being in a meeting and telling one of the contractors that something had to be a certain way. And I remember before I left the office, my boss said to me, you tell them it has to be done that way, no matter what. And you keep insisting that it has to be. And this wasn't the female boss. This was a male boss. Mm -hmm. And you keep insisting that it has to be done this way. Mm -hmm. And then the contractor said to me, whatever the little lady wants. Uh... And then I thought, hmm. I get, you know, he listened to me finally, but would I have had to insist that much if I was a man? Probably not. Right. And then he tried to, well, maybe insult you or put you down a tiny bit with, by calling you a little lady. I don't know. Is that how you took that? I'm not very tall. (laughs) I'm five one. So, you know, that's, that was also, I have to say that was also often a challenge for me because I'm short and I don't necessarily look my age. So a lot of people often think that I'm younger than I am and maybe have less experience than I actually do. Mm-hmm. So that was always something. But I have to say, I've had a lot of strong women in my life. My mother, as I said before, is a doctor and she had her own practice for over 50 years. So she was a very strong inspiration for me. So I never really thought that women couldn't be anything that they wanted to be. I always thought I could be whatever I wanted to be. Yeah, that's amazing. Right. I had that kind of leadership and that guidance to just say, like, I can do whatever I wanted. So so I think that was really the only situation that I can really remember being called out. And I'm sure maybe there were situations looking back, like you said, like maybe it would have been different if I was a man, but I don't think I faced it that much. We were in a small office. Mm-hmm. And I had a lot of other people in my office who were strong women who were doing amazing things. And we were a team and we were doing it together. It sounds like an incredible atmosphere and, and environment. So what made you decide to leave? Well, we left New York City. Oh. <laughs> we left New York City. We moved to Washington, D.C. And then after we spent six years there. And after Washington, D.C., we moved to the Philadelphia area. And because of all those moves, I decided, like I said, I had always had that entrepreneurial spirit. Mm-hmm. And I decided that if I wanted to start a business, that was the time because we had made those moves. 
Mm-hmm. And I didn't want to jump back into another firm. I wanted to just give it a chance and try to do my own thing. Okay. So how did you come up with this idea for Samsara Sari? I mean, it's an amazing idea. I want everyone to go to your website, <laughs> either during or after this podcast, and look at these gorgeous garments. But wow. how did you come up with the idea to create clothing and home goods out of saris, out of vintage saris? Ten years ago when I got married... I traveled to India with my mother and my sister to buy clothes to wear to my wedding because I wanted, you know, I was having a traditional Indian wedding and I wanted to wear a sari. And my mother said, well, we are going to go to the town where they weave these traditional wedding saris, where they still hand weave them. And you're going to buy like a really precious, beautiful, and I want you to pick out what you want. So we traveled to South India to this town called Kanchi. That's the short name for it, country. And we were able to see the looms where the saris are woven. We got to meet with a lot of the shop owners. And after speaking with them, I discovered that even in India, people don't wear saris as much as they used to. Mm. And that this tradition of wearing saris is really dying as the generations go on. And then hand-woven saris were being replaced by machine-made saris. So it's Mm -hmm. at that point that I really began to understand and appreciate the beauty of the sari as an art form and all that it represented for the heritage and the culture. And fast forward a few years, I was going to a cousin's wedding. I was looking through my mother's closet for saris and I saw all these beautiful saris I had never seen before. And every sari she pulled out, she would tell me a story. And mm-hmm. she showed me her wedding sari for the, I had never seen it. She showed it to me for the first time. And I, I was just amazed. And every sari she pulled out, she had a different story of, oh, I bought this sari 30 years ago when we were went to visit the Taj Mahal for the first time. I saw it in the window of a store and I, I had to have it. So then I bought it. And then, you know, oh, I bought this sari with my sister. And then I just started to learn more about my family history through these saris. And I started to learn things that I never knew. Yeah. So it was really a way to like connect with my mother and connect with the culture. And then I realized this wasn't really unique to my mother. She had all these saris sitting in her closet that she just didn't wear anymore because she didn't have an occasion to wear them. So I realized that there are a lot of other people of Indian heritage in this country who also have closets full of saris that they don't use anymore. And they don't know what to do with them. They don't, they're not going to give them to the Salvation Army. Mm-hmm. I didn't want them to end up in a landfill. So I said, well, what can we do with these? And I don't wear saris that often. I wear them maybe once or twice a year to an Indian wedding. But besides that, I don't wear them. And so there are some beautiful saris of my mother's that I will treasure and preserve and wear as saris. But what, what am I going to do with the rest of them? What will my sister do with them? So I really started to think about how can I transform these into something that's more relatable for me, something that I could use and that others could also use and appreciate and enjoy and really share the beauty of the sari and of the Indian heritage. Okay. So what stage would you say you're at your company is at now? You launched in 2019 and I believe you launched your website recently. So where are you now? So we are at the point where I'm really focusing on sales and marketing and PR. And I think you know we're just really getting into our groove now. There is a lot of excitement around what's happening now. Our main product right now are little girls' tutu skirts. Part of that had to do with the pandemic hitting. And when I first started, I was doing cocktail dresses and decorative pillows. But then with the pandemic, people weren't going anywhere. Wait, so you were making cocktail dresses out of the saris? Yes. Can you describe what that looked like? 
Sure. Actually, the first dress I had made was from one of my mother's saris that she gave me. And it's like an olive green, which is one of her favorite colors. It's an olive green with like dull silver thread woven into it. And I had a one shoulder dress made like one shoulder asymmetrical straight above the knee dress Mm -hmm. made. And I wore it to a cousin's wedding in Napa for like the first dinner for like the welcome dinner. And everybody loved it. And everybody, you know, was super excited about it because they could recognize it as a sari. So they knew. They knew. They knew that that was a, that had been a sari. Yeah. People came up to me and said, oh, where did you get that? And I love that. And, and so for me, and it felt so good when I put it on because it was really, I was preserving a memory mm-hmm. and it was something that was very special to my mother that she didn't wear anymore. And so I was finding a new use for it. So I started with the cocktail dresses and I had a few skirts made and some decorative pillows. And then COVID hit and people weren't going anywhere. So I really Mm -hmm. had to figure out a way to transition. And I was in this fashion incubator. I really wanted to learn how a lot of things happen within the fashion industry. So I wanted to focus more on a piece of clothing. So I decided to really focus on these little girls' tutu skirts, Mm -hmm. which can be seen on my website, that are made of pre-loved saris. Because people were still dressing their kids up, even though they weren't going anywhere. And one thing that we learned during the incubator was that it's really good to focus on one product at a time and really try to understand that product well and really get good at that product before moving on to something else. Mm -hmm. So I really put all my effort into these little girls' tutu skirts. And they're so, so cute. Oh, thank you. They're beautiful. Thank you. And we are pushing in the next few months to have some women's skirts out. I'm so excited. Mina, I'm so excited. I have to interrupt you because this is a little known fact about me. Okay, maybe it's maybe anyone who's seen like my holiday cards knows this, but I love mommy and me stuff. So are you gonna be doing a mommy and me? So it will be kind of mommy and me. The each sorry right now makes between three and five little mm-hmm. girls tutu skirts, depending upon the quality of the sari because it's pre-loved. It was used by somebody else. So mm-hmm. I, I sort through all the saris. I try to pick the ones that I think will be the best for the product. And you know, we cut around any stains or parts that are really worn. Once I get into the women's skirts, I think we could do colorways, but I won't be able to do exact pattern because I'm not doing custom because right. I don't really have the labor force to do custom. So Mm -hmm. I'm doing small runs of product. So I basically say to my factory, okay, make three of these skirts. So I can't really determine people's sizes ahead of time unless Mm -hmm. I figure out a way to do pre-order. So I think in the beginning, I will just, you know, it will be colorways in the beginning. So when you say colorways, you mean it'll be, you'll do matching skirts to match the children's? Right. Like a mommy can have a yellow skirt and the daughter will have a yellow skirt, but it may not be the exact same pattern. Oh, right. No, I don't think a mommy and me has to have the exact same pattern anyway. Yeah, yeah. But the style will be fairly similar. And yeah, so it will be mommy and me. And we also have some accessories. We have a few on the website now. We have more coming out this week. Ooh, what what kind of accessories? We have some little girls' headbands. We have some scrunchies for adults. We have some scarves, women's scarves. Awesome. I've had a lot of inquiry for little boys' bow ties. So that may Mm -hmm. be coming up this year also. That's great. Also good for the family portraits. (laughs) Exactly. Exactly. Or a family wedding or. (laughs) So now 
everything you're doing with Samsara Sari, you know, it's a lot of it is about creativity and sharing the heritage and the beauty of the sari. And there's a lot about sustainability as well, which we haven't really gotten into yet. Do you want to talk about the core values of your company? So our mission is to preserve, celebrate, inspire, and connect. So preserve is preserving a memory, an art form, and a heritage, which I've touched on before. Celebrating the beauty of the sari and other Indian art forms. Mm -hmm. Inspiring people to really be proud of their heritage and embrace their identity because I do know a lot of people struggle with this. And I think that, you know, there is so much to be proud of with anybody's heritage. And I think that your heritage is really what makes you who you are. Mm -hmm. So instead of shying away from it, I think people should celebrate it, whatever that is. And or whatever your identity is, whatever your identity is, I think people should really celebrate it and be proud of it. The products that you're making are really for everybody, though. They're for everybody. I have to say 75% of my clients right now are not of Indian heritage because people just love, they love the color, they love the craftsmanship, they love the details, they love the fact that each piece is few of a kind. So it's something that they can wear and people will ask them where they got it and they can't get it. Mm-hmm. <laughs> is spreading awareness like that about the sari part of your mission? It is. I know, and this happens with a lot of other cultures too, there are a lot of misconceptions about the heritage or about the culture. And I really, through these beautiful textiles, want to share with people that there is so much beauty in India. And I'm learning about Mm -hmm. it too. I'm not Mm -hmm. necessarily an expert. Yes, I am of Indian heritage. But as I'm learning more about these saris, I'm learning more about my family history. I'm asking more questions. I'm learning more about the history of India. I'm learning about the beauty of the country. I mean, we had so much fun. I still have fun when I go to India with my family. We used to go every three or four years growing up. I haven't been before my son was born, maybe eight years. <laughs> it's been eight years yeah. since I've been there. The pandemic made everything kind of a blur. So exactly. It's hard to keep track. Exactly. And when I go, the more questions I start asking my parents, the more interested I am in what there is. And I want people to know that it is a beautiful culture and there's a lot of beautiful art and architecture and history. And it's a really, you know, old culture and there is so much to it. And I really want to share that with other people. I think that's really cool and really noble. And speaking of noble, like a lot of brands talk about sustainability and we know probably that there can be a lot of lip service around this by some brands, maybe some of the bigger companies as well, but you're literally, you're taking fabrics that already exist that are sitting in people's closets, maybe going to stay there until they die or maybe headed for a landfill, who knows? And you're making them into something modern and beautiful that people can wear and appreciate now. So is sustainability a big part of your mission? It is definitely a big part of my mission. In addition to reusing these fabrics. We are also, right now, our production is local. It's in New York City. Mm. We chose a manufacturing facility that is very ethical. They Mm. pay their workers fairly. They treat them well. That was really important to me when I chose the place where I wanted to have these skirts manufactured. And I've had long discussions with the owner about sustainability and the importance of sustainability. And we produce in small batches because I don't want to hold on to inventory that can't be sold. So it is. And I'm always very mindful. I know that I'm not doing everything 
hundred percent right now, but I don't think anybody can do it a hundred percent. And it's also very challenging as a small brand. There are many things that I want to do and I'm working my way towards them. Progress, not perfection. Right. Right now working on, you know, being more sustainable in my packaging, Mm -hmm. being more sustainable in my future products. Yeah. And really also thinking about circularity. So one thing that I will be putting on my website in the next two weeks is when somebody's done with this skirt, the little tutu skirt, I want them to either pass it on to like a family member or a friend, or if they don't have anybody to pass it on to, if it's only been lightly used, I want to give them an incentive to send it back to me. Mm-hmm. And then if they send it back to me, they can get a discount on a future product. And I can hopefully resell it if it's still good in good condition at a lower price. So that way we're keeping these products going and keeping them alive. There are a lot of women of Indian heritage in this country of closets full of saris they no longer use. We source those saris directly from people who no longer use them. We're pulling those saris out of the closet and celebrating their beauty by transforming them into modern treasures. It's really exciting when we started our first charity drive, I had people who I didn't even know from all over the country, reaching out to me, sending, wanting to give me their saris. And I just had an older gentleman contact me from California. And he said, my wife has these saris. We are moving to a smaller home. We don't know what to do with them. So oh. I'm sending these to you, mm-hmm. which was really, it's really amazing. And I've had people, you know, my mother passed away. I don't know what to do with these. I'm sending mm-hmm. these saris to you. And I mean, I've gotten garbage bags full of saris from people because they don't want to throw them away. A lot of them have memories or they just think they're too precious to just throw away. So there a lot of people are really excited and happy that I'm keeping the tradition alive. Now you said you're producing in small batches right now. Would you like to scale and start producing eventually in larger batches as they start to sell more and more because there's a lot of room for growth here? So I think I have some ideas on other products that would complement the tutu mm-hmm. skirts, I would love to do a t-shirt at some point that's, you know, made of organic cotton or another organic material and possibly bring in some of the craftsmanship from India. There's a huge history of block printing. You mm-hmm. know, maybe I could get some block printing done on these t-shirts. And once I come up with a product that I know is selling, perhaps that can get produced at a slightly larger scale. But I really want to be mindful of what are people buying? How can I produce something that's as timeless as possible that people can use and hold on to for a very long time? And a good quality product that can be passed on to somebody else. I love this. And where can our listeners find you? What's your website? And where else can they find you besides your website? Sure. So my website is www.samsarasari.com. And my Instagram is at samsara underscore sari. And I also want to let people know for every sari that we source, for every sari that's given to us, we donate towards charities that align with our mission. So Mm -hmm. right now we are currently wrapping up this week our COVID relief drive, which is our first sari for a cause drive. So for every sari donated to us, we gave money towards COVID relief in India I just had a call with India last week with the company who I'm donating the money to give India. And I spoke in detail with them about how they're going to allocate this money. So we decided that it would really mean a lot if we could donate it towards weavers whose families have been 
affected by COVID. So it is going towards Mm. COVID relief, but it's going more towards the Weaver community so that it ties into everything that we're doing. Well, Namita Penagunda Reddy, founder and designer of Samsara Sari. Thank you so much for joining us on the Hazard Girls podcast. I, you know, I've known all about you and your brand for a couple of years now as part of the Philadelphia Fashion Incubator, but it's nice to actually learn more about you and your background. And I'm sure many people will be very inspired by your story, both your career in architecture and your launch of this amazing brand, Samsara Sari. And I know everybody's going to want to go check out your website and look at your beautiful pieces. Thank you, Emily. Thank you for your time and for interviewing me. This has really been fabulous. I'm so happy to be able to share my story with others. Thanks, Amita. You have been listening to the Hazard Girls podcast on Jacket Media, sponsored by Juno Jones, the stylish safety boot company. That's junojonesshoes.com. And you can go there to learn about our steel toe boots and to join the Hazard Girls community. I'm your host, Emily Salaby. Thanks so much for listening. We'll see you next week. This podcast is a part of the C-Suite Radio Network. For more top business podcasts, visit c-suiteradio.com.